0: We're back, baby. The Syracuse Sports Podcast has returned. Episode 40. We took a couple of weeks off, little summer vacation, feeling relaxed, feeling refreshed, and ready to get back at it. Today on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, hey, thanks for coming by. By the way, you should subscribe if you'd like to get new episodes of this podcast sent right to your phone or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find us in iTunes. You can find us in Google Play. Just hit the subscribe. Just hit that subscribe button to the Syracuse Sports Podcast, and you'll be all set. New episodes sent to you automatically. A lot of good, meaty football talk on the Syracuse Sports Podcast today. Stephen Bailey and Nate Mink, who cover the Syracuse football team for Syracuse.com, will join me. We'll have a roundtable discussion. We're going to cover every position. We're going to discuss what they have seen at training camp so far. It's a limited window. In which reporters can watch practice. It's basically ten minutes, sometimes a little longer, and then they escort you out, and that's when all the good stuff happens. But Steven and Nate do an amazing job putting things together as best as they can, from not only viewing practice from talking to people and gathering sources and reporting on this football team as we get closer to the start of the 2018 Syracuse football season. Can't believe it. It's still the middle of August. We've got a couple weeks of training camp ready to go. But before you know it, it'll be August 31st, and that Syracuse football team will be kicking off its 2018 season at Western Michigan. That's something we also discuss is the expectations for the year naturally people would say well you're coming off back-to-back four and eight seasons this should be a bowl team this should be a team that wins six games and makes a bowl game for the first time since the Orange went to the Texas Bowl back in 2013. We will discuss that Dino Babers as a coach and all the meat and potatoes football talk that you can handle here with Stephen Bailey and Nate Mink that's coming up here shortly but I wanted to start with this a little Syracuse basketball note Mike Waters, Scott Trimble, and I of Syracuse.com got a chance to spend a lot of time this week with Joseph Gerard III. Gerard is a basketball prospect that Syracuse is recruiting. Gerard is the all-time leading scorer in the history of New York State, and he still has his senior season to go. He's got over 3,000 career points, and he has defeated pretty much every record of note of another Glens Falls basketball legend, Jimmer Fredette. So last week, so earlier this week it was. So earlier this week, I'm recording this on Friday, August the 11th. Earlier this week it was on Wednesday. We went to Glens Falls and we got to hang out with not only Joe Girard, but Girard worked out with Jimmer Fredette. Now, just to set the scene on this, for those of you that don't know, I'm sure many of you listening are familiar with the name Jimmer Fredette. Jimmer is basketball royalty. In Glens Falls. He has set all kinds of records. He led Glens Falls basketball, went to BYU. Jimmer Mania was born. I think many of you remember that. So there is not a bigger basketball name walking around in really the Adirondacks region, Glens Falls, however you want to kind of define the parameters, than Jimmer Fredette. Well, Joe Girard III has come along, the sharpshooting kid from Glens Falls High School. And has broken a lot of Jimmer's records. We mentioned he's the New York State all-time leading scorer. Gatorade player of the year. And he's still got a senior year to go. We watched Jimmer work out with Joe. And while Joe is a professional. He's played in the NBA. He's playing professional basketball in China now. Has just a polished, refined shot. One of the best you'll see. I'm here to tell you. Joe Girard, the third shot, wasn't that far off. This kid is ahead of his time. He's ahead of his years in terms of his shot, in terms of his maturity, and there were times when it was blurring between Jimmer and Joe. It's incredible to see how refined Joe Gerrard's mechanics are at this point. Now, he certainly has room to improve. He can come to college wherever he chooses to go, when he's got Michigan, Duke, Notre Dame, Penn State, Boston College, and Syracuse as his final six schools. Wherever he goes, He will be successful, he will help any of those teams be good, and you will see one of the best shooters in college basketball. Hopefully that's at Syracuse, and he's got Jerry McNamara recruiting him, so there's got to be a kinship there from two guys who know how to stroke the three-point shot. But it was just a pleasure to see Joe in his environment, to see how he reacted with people in his community, to see how respected he is in the community, and just to kind of get a little taste of, a teenager who's got a hectic basketball life, but is also just trying to be a teenager at this point. So Joe has officially visited Syracuse. He officially visited Boston College just this week. He's unofficially visited all the other schools on the list. And here's the thing with Joe, and this is what I really liked about hanging out with him. It seems today too many kids hone in on one sport, and they specialize in it, and that's it. That's not Joe. Joe is also the starting quarterback for the Glens Falls football team, and he's pretty darn good at it. He has gotten a taste of playing in the Carrier Dome in a state championship game. He's 24-1 as the starting quarterback for the varsity Glens Falls football team, and he's got big goals this year on that front. So imagine playing basketball all summer long, all kinds of tournaments. He went to an all-star game in New York City, played on an AAU team. Comes home, works out with Jimmer Fredette, his mentor and hero and one of the biggest names in basketball, where he lives. And Joe's about to eclipse perhaps Jimmer's, not only Jimmer's records, but Jimmer's legacy in Glens Falls. And you got football practice starting Monday. Now, some coaches are probably nervous about that. Why would you play football? Why would you risk getting injured? Why wouldn't you just kind of decide where you're going to go? Michigan, Duke, Notre Dame, Penn State, Boston College, Syracuse, and just hone your basketball craft in your senior year. Joe doesn't want to do that. He wants to play football. He wants to be with his teammates. He wants to not only win another championship in football, but chase a state championship in basketball, which it's interesting that Joe is doing that because he's from Glens Falls and plays for Glens Falls High School. The New York State basketball championships every year are in Glens Falls. Everybody else around the state wants to be where Joe lives, breathes, and plays every day. Joe just has to step into his backyard to play for a state championship. And can you imagine that? That Glens Falls arena would be filled with locals. Anybody from the outside trying to get in to that game would have a hard time if Joe Girard can lead Glens Falls there but now we're getting ahead of ourselves we wish Joe the best of luck in the world in making his decision whether it's Syracuse or not we've got plenty of stuff up on Syracuse.com now as we record this we're working on more so you're going to get to know Joe Girard III a little bit I think you'll come away from watching that stuff and reading that stuff saying boy I hope he comes to Syracuse but I wish him luck in whatever he does because that's the feeling I had driving away from Glens Falls earlier this week I hope he comes to Syracuse. I hope we get to watch him remind us of Jerry McNamara in the Dome, shooting three-pointers, stay in New York State. Can you imagine all the people that will commute from Glens Falls to Syracuse to watch him play? But no matter what he does and no matter what he chooses, we wish him the best of luck in the world. It was a pleasure to get to know Joe Girard III this week. Now a football conversation. Well, we mentioned Joe plays a little football. How about a football conversation about how the Orange are doing in training camp so far? Stephen Bailey, Nate Mink, Syracuse.com beat reporters. Join me now here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. So I'm here with the guys on the beat Stephen Bailey, Nate Mink, read all about it, Syracuse.com and their respective Twitter worlds. Gentlemen, we're back in camp. Uh, What have your. Now, we got a little bonus today. We're recording this on Thursday. I showed up and there was 20 minutes of action as opposed to 10. So uh, you're welcome for that. So uh, what, what have we seen so far in these usually 10-minute uh, viewing sessions, but today a little bit of bonus of 20-minute sessions? What stood out to you in even the limited time you get to watch practice? Nate, well, I'll start with
1: you. Well, I think the the big thing just in terms of uh, general observations is you got to take note of physically how much they've matured um, particularly just from the end of last season, but also going back to Dino's first year. The, the overall roster, I think, uh, just looks a lot different than uh, previous coaching administrations and even Dino's first season. Guys, I think, are a little bit more looser in their hips. They they're, they have lengthier bodies that can fill out over the course of their careers. They run a lot smoother out there. Um, and then Specifically targeting in at scrimmage, the offensive and defensive lines are finally up to a, a, a weight and up to a level that you feel confident that they can hold their own uh, over the twelve game schedule, in particular in the ACC.
0: Stephen, what uh, what are the things that have grabbed you so far that have been you know not only things that you've written about, but maybe you want to write about? You're observing, you're, you're keeping an eye on as we go here.
2: Well, I think early in camp is a great time to assess some of the younger guys. And uh, we saw a team period today. We saw freshman Trill Williams, a freshman corner, working with the first team. I mean, we saw Anthony queeley a freshman slot receiver, mixing in with the ones when they went to four wide receiver set. He'd come in for tight end ravian Pierce, uh, freshman outside receiver Ed Hendricks. We're starting to get an idea of... Who the staff really likes from this class. Um, now that doesn't mean those guys are going to be starters, but it does mean the staff wants to see them in different situations, and they can be guys who are ready to play early. We did get a, a little teamwork look uh, on Thursday, and
0: uh, Clayton Welch threw a beautiful touchdown pass in that session. So you know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, but you know, first team reps are interesting, and you know, what, part of what you guys have to do is kind of decipher the code. You know, Dino Babers comes (laughs) afterwards and says, this guy got first-team reps. Well, is that just because it's a rhythm of practice, or is it interesting that that person got first-team reps? And, of course, Tommy DeVito getting first-team reps at quarterback – that's noteworthy. I mean, that's not just lip service. That's not just, uh, hey, by the way, from practice. It's That's notable that, that he's getting those reps, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We'll just say that didn't exactly come from Dino's mouth, but even this morning we saw Tommy take a drive with the ones, so it's, it's no secret. Um, they really like Tommy. You know, everyone who you talk to behind the scenes um, says it. You know, there's a ton of potential there. Uh, just watching him, even in, in routes for setter stuff, the arm talent is very clear. He probably has the best arm talent on the roster, in my opinion. Um, but you don't know until he gets out there, and getting him reps with the ones at the very least prepares him to play. Hope uh, is absolutely going to play in week two against Wagner, unless something disastrous happens. Wagner should not be in that game. Uh, we'll see how the Western Michigan game goes early, but they're getting him ready to play, and um, you know whether or not he's he's really in the mix competing with Eric or it is just lip service and a little bit of show time will tell
0: Nate to you on the guy who is number one right now and uh, Nate spent a lot of time with Eric Dungie that's coming soon on, on Syracuse.com you'll see a lot about that and read all about that and, and look the question is can he stay healthy it's it's the one that's right there it's one that you know he gets pretty annoyed by as anybody would if you're constantly questioned why can't <laughs> you stay on the field but look th- he has not done that in the past couple of years and now the Tommy DeVito thing is interesting because you have somebody who can step in, and, and at least the theory is, it's the deepest you've been at the position. That's somebody that can come in and, and you know not only hold water at the quarterback position. He might even be eventually better than Eric Dungy in some ways. But look, this is his team. This is his senior year. He's got a real opportunity for redemption here in a way to kind of you know prove whatever critics he has out there wrong because when he is healthy. He's productive. And when he's healthy, he's exciting to watch. And when he's healthy, he's the clear starting quarterback on this team. So it really sets up such an interesting season and such an interesting dynamic for
1: him. Absolutely. And I think, you know, spending some time with Eric, you know, it's become apparent, even going back to, you know, some of his comments made down in Charlotte at at the ACC kickoff. You know, I think he feels that there has been this negative stigma surrounding him. that quite frankly, he thinks is is unfair. Um, going back to you know, particularly his freshman and sophomore years, uh, the way that he's been held out um, by order of the team doctor, um, that he didn't necessarily felt he should have been held out. Now, last year with the foot injury, uh, you know he'll he'll concede that um, you know <laughs> his, his, his his big toe. Got bent back towards his ankle, and uh, you know he told Dante Strickland in the huddle. In the very next tech, next play, you know I think I broke my foot. Uh, so that that um, that was a real injury by all uh, all accounts. But um, but broken bones heal, and and NFL players and and college football players break bones all the time, and they rehab those injuries and they come back on the field um, and are productive. Uh, players nevertheless so I think uh, Eric um, he is finally at a weight he's up around 230, 232 um, he's going to try to push that number a little bit higher if he can but um, he finally feels that he's at a weight um, that he is comfortable at and should have been playing at all along now of course given the circumstances that he was put in having to play as a true freshman he was never afforded that red shirt season that some of the other quarterbacks on this roster have been afforded. And so he's slowly had to build up his weight and his body and his physique slowly but surely in the offseason. Um, you know, that's just sort of the hand he was dealt, um, and, and he accepts that. But, um, you know, I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, because of the weight that he's put on, his arm strength is is top end in the ACC. I think, like you mentioned, he's, he's an exciting player that can certainly – Cause a lot of havoc for defenses when he gets out of the pocket. The big thing for Eric this year, I think, that has been missing really throughout the course of his entire life. Um, this this, by all accounts, is going to be the first year that he has an offensive line in front of him that can protect him. He never really had that throughout high school. Um, his first three years at Syracuse, the the offensive line has been a revolving door of personnel or young guys at some key positions, and some injuries have hit key positions that. You know, they've had to sort of work the formula there a little bit, Um, and he's withstood all that. You know, I think a lot of people are curious and a lot of people are anxious, Eric included, to see what kind of production and what kind of player he can be um, when he has sort of uh, uh, a – you know, all-hands-on-deck mentality around him. Steven, I'll turn
0: to you, and and Nate made a great point about the offensive line. It's experienced, it's good, and it does pass the look test. You go to practice, and it's as as impressive as you've seen a Syracuse offensive line in in recent memory, certainly under Dino Babers. The system, I think, has proven out that players are going to be productive. You know, Ambed Attau comes in for a season and breaks every receiving record in the book, and it seems like whoever steps in, is next in line to be those those record producers, to be those big names. So with Steve Ishmael moving on, with Irv Phillips moving on, who are the top candidates to be the big producers on that offense with Eric Dungie throwing to them?
2: Well, that is a, an excellently timed question, Brent, because I think we kind of got a hint of that the last couple days. Uh, we saw Nikeem Johnson move back to the slot, and he spent the spring and the first week or so of camp on the outside. Uh, usually opposite Devin Butler. Nikeem's 5'9", about 165. I'd have to look it up. I may be off by a couple, but a guy who's traditionally built to play inside, and it doesn't mean there aren't smaller outside receivers who can, who can thrive on the outside, but... Traditionally, Dino Babers has liked to put his two best receivers on the same side of the field. So seeing Nikeem go back inside, I think it's likely that he and Devin Butler are kind of the top guys on the inside and outside, respectively. And much as we saw Steve ishmont and Irvin Phillips often flip sides of the field together last year to keep that route combination on the same side. I, I bet you we see some of that this year. And it doesn't mean there are other guys who are still in the mix. Richard freshman Sherrod Johnson, certainly very interesting. Richard senior Jamal Custis looks like he might actually. be going back on the outside. He repped there a little bit with the ones and twos this morning. Um, And true freshman Anthony Quealy and Ed Hendricks also in the mix. And Cam Jordan, redshirt freshman who got the touchdown today. Uh, You know, those things do matter coming out of camp. You didn't mention the
0: name Ravion Pierce. And I have always been fascinated by, you know, when you have talented tight ends, and they don't seem to get the ball as much. And it might be the result of an offense. It might just be the reads that, in this offensive case... Offensive
2: line that needs help and protecting. And that's the other thing. Yep. An
0: offensive, you got to give you know your quarterback time to throw the football there. So it seems like the elements are at least coming together, that he could be more involved in the offense. Or is it just one of those things like, you got to take what you can get. How much is the tight end? involved in this offense? How much do they want to get him involved in this offense? Are we going to see, you know, at least a, an opportunity for him to get some more targets this year, Nate?
1: You know, Brent, he was, the, I think, the number one tight end in South Florida coming out of high school. Um, SEC programs took a hard look at him. He was going to be an Under Armour All-American before an injury uh, sabotaged that opportunity for him. He Went to JUCO, um, got more high major programs after him coming out of JUCO. Uh, He is a guy, you know, there's some NFL scouts that have filtered into Syracuse practices this first week and a half. And I guarantee you they are taking notes on number six in orange because he just looks the part of a a dominant tight end who, again, it's the eyeball test, right? I mean, he's a man amongst boys out there at times, and I think he's going to be very, very active in a very, very difficult matchup uh, for some of the defenders in the ACC this year. E- jump- Eric knows about them. I'm, I can promise you that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And you brought up the point of, of the offensive line, you're only really as good as that. Let me jump back to that, because there's a new name on the offensive line that I think people are very curious about. And that's Coda Martin, of course, who has a great story, and that these, you know, the relation between Dino Babers and his family, Coda, is married to Dino's daughter, for those that don't know. And he comes in and... Speaking of eye test, I mean, he's listed as six six three zero four, whatever he's officially, you know, height and weight at. That's a big boy right there. That's somebody who's going to come in. He's listed at right tackle right now and adds a big element, quite literally, to this offensive line. What, what have you heard? What do you know about Cota Martin, who comes in from Texas A&M? I'll start with you, Steven.
2: Sure. Um, well, I think we're still learning a little bit about what he does on the field, but you're absolutely right. Physically, he's ready to play tackle at this level. I mean, he started a tackle last year for Texas A&M, so uh, teammates have said that uh, he, he kind of brings a different different background, right? He's been taught you know, some different techniques, different schemes, different ideas, and when you inject that into a room that already has a bunch of older guys, fourth and, and fifth year guys, uh, it, it creates really intelligent discussion when you're breaking down the nuances of the run game and this step here versus this step there and um you know if you're pass protecting the, the communication it's it's there's there are a lot of people in the offensive line room who've played a lot of football they got six guys with at least a year of starting experience and uh it sounds like code is meshing really well we saw him work at left tackle and right tackle today so there's some positional flexibility there um, you know, But as far as what he can do physically on the field, I think we'll, we'll get a pretty good idea August 31st at Western Michigan.
0: Let me jump over to the defensive side of the ball, and there's some intriguing questions there to get to. But I want to start up front and, and how that's developing and what you've seen. And, and we were uh, discussing this a little bit before we turned on the microphone getting injury information from you to know, college football teams is you know they might as well get the codes to Fort Knox it's not easy but we know that Kendall Coleman's had to use Adino Baber's term some owies recently and look it's football it's camp everybody's going to get some injuries and some things that will you know keep them out of practice right now so health-wise how are things looking and player-wise how are things looking because you know one of the best players on on the football team itself is, is on that defensive line if anything you know Chris Slayton's going to go out there and and maybe prove again this year that he's he's an NFL prospect.
1: Yeah, I think the defensive line, uh, like you mentioned, right now has some minor injuries that is keeping some guys from maximizing their rep opportunities, but it's also opening up the door for a little bit more first-team reps and second-team reps for some of the younger guys on the roster, whether it's Kingsley Jonathan or uh I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name on the on the first go but uh Caleb Okachukwu I think Thank you got. Yeah. Thank you got. It. He, he was out there um a, a good portion of of the uh 10 minute window that we were able to observe today. Um listen, I think from a depth perception perspective, I think it's it's as deep as it's been in the last 3 years under Dino now that statement in itself may not say a lot because they have been very thin at defensive line this year and I think bottom line that largely is true again I think if you have a rash of injuries hit the defensive end position or uh, you know the defensive tackle position you're going to be you're going to have guys who are going to at least have some game experience in there but I, I think they're is going to be some drop off in production between those ones and that underbelly. Now, you know that that's part of camp. That's why they they practice is to get the twos and the threes up to speed so that they can they can step in if called upon, and and it makes your whole practice routine flow more smoothly when you have your your backups know what their responsibilities are and their gap assignments are. Um, but make no mistake, I think a lot of this team's success this year, offensively and defensively, boils down to their best players, their starters, their their bell cows staying on the field for all 12 games. Steven,
0: you know, Dino Babers has been very careful when I've asked him about the defense to always say, you know, Tampa 2, 4-3, whatever formation, well, that's part of what we do. It's not all that we do. So that brings me to this question. The 4-2-5 alignment's been out there. That's obviously been put out there because there's, you know, a real big gap of production you got to fill from last year's linebackers to this it's early we'll see as the games progress here but is the 4-2-5 just part of what they do or do you feel like that's what they have to do given you know the the you know the lack of experience the lack of you know we don't know anything about these linebackers we've only seen them in in limited action here and we're all as curious as anybody how they're going to fill in and, and do this year
2: Sure. So I think the four-two-five is going to be their base defense against most teams. I mean, when Boston College comes out with two tight ends and a power back, they're going to have three linebackers on the field. But for the most part, we'll be seeing four-two-five. Now, what most people don't understand is that doesn't mean this is going to be significantly different. That means Jonathan Thomas or whoever their third linebacker was last year will be swapped out for Antoine Cordy, basically. A lot of the calls will be the same, some of the coverage will be the same. It it just gives you a different personnel set. Cordy obviously excels in coverage, he's a small guy, probably the best cover man on the team. Maybe he can do some things with pressure packages, whereas you know maybe he doesn't have the same size to hold up in the run game that Thomas does. Uh, To me, the bigger change they're making on defense is is the secondary is going to play, quote, tighter coverage. No one really wants to say exactly what that's going to look like, but they've been incorporating some man techniques starting in the spring. Um, We've seen a very high percentage of zone over the last two years, uh, almost exclusively zone after Cordy went down last year, and then after Jordan Martin, or Cordy went down two years ago, and then Jordan Martin last year against Clemson. Um, So I think we'll see a secondary that's comfortable pressing receivers if they think that's the best matchup they have. Um, they're hoping true freshman Andre Sisco can step into the starting free safety role. And if, if he can do that and give them kind of a, a hash-to-hash presence they haven't had behind Martin and, and Cordy these last couple years, I think they'll be more comfortable um, cutting down those gaps at the line of scrimmage and, and taking away the short passing game.
0: Cordy is, is interesting to watch because, you know, it's not eye test in terms of how physical and how big he is, but he's one of the best playmakers on that defense. There's just a clear difference when he's out there and that's what we were talking about with Nate a minute ago Stephen with with Dungy on the defensive side of the ball to be your best you need Antoine Cordy out there so how is he progressing how is he looking uh, and you brought up another name that's intriguing to me while we're, we're staying back there and and that's Andre Cisco. I mean your free safety is a true freshman and they're handing him the keys and saying you know go out there and, and do your thing so how, how will those two kind of play off each other and how important are they to the to uh, the Syracuse defense.
2: Well, they spent a lot of time together this summer. I was actually just talking to these guys. I mean, Sisko, uh, he came in the spring, so he's a true freshman, but he did rep with the ones in the spring. And then this summer, he and Cordy were out running hills at 6 o'clock in the morning and spending a lot of time together in the film room. Cisco is kind of mature beyond his years, his, his teammates kind of say. Um, really, really earned the respect of the coaching staff and the veterans in the DB room with how professional he's kind of been about taking on that role because I think he understands, look, someone's got to play free safety and Antoine Cordy is going to be the nickelback. And, uh, and that means there's an opportunity there and it's it's his to take. So that doesn't mean that there won't be some mistakes and that, that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Um, I think having Western Michigan and Wagner to open the year will give him an opportunity to adjust before going up against Florida State, and you know, really good ACC players. Um, but from, from everything I've heard, you know, Andre Sisco is impressing, and I think if he does pretty well in these two scrimmages, which is kind of what Dino Baber said, I mean, yeah, he, he's the front runner there, and it's, it's really going to be interesting to watch because he was recruited for that position. You know, he's, he's got the length that some of the backups we saw last year, Rodney Williams and Davon Ellison and some of the old Schaefer guys were not necessarily built the same way. To jump
0: back to the linebackers, Nate. Of the names that we've seen out there, no matter what formation they're in four two five, four three, you know, uh, it's something they make up before the first game of the season. Who are some of the names that can step up and at least have, you know? our first in mind that can be the next Paris Bennett the next you know I mean, Zaire Franklin's a unicorn it's, it's so unique what he was a three year you know captain and it's just you, you can't compare anybody to Zaire because he was such a, a unique player but who do you think has the potential to, to be those next names that, that you've seen out there so far
1: well not just Zaire but you know Paris there's, there's some guys on the team who think Paris might have been their best linebacker last year and, and that's no knock on Zaire but I mean that just speaks to the quality of those two players right there in the middle and it's unfortunate that Paris had to had to give up football because of injury but you know to answer your question I you know I don't think there there's a clear-cut answer at linebacker right now and, and quite frankly just based on the limited practice window we've been able to observe nothing has been nothing no one has jumped out to me I think you, you start at at what the depth chart says and, and your upperclassmen with Kylan Whitner and Ryan Guthrie and Andrew Armstrong those are the three guys that have the most on-field experience out of anyone in the the group and I think right now uh, so much about it is just knowing your assignment and knowing which space to get to and I think as those younger guys with maybe a little bit more athletic gifts uh, bestowed upon them catch up and and get the mental assignments down and they can play without thinking and just let their athleticism take over you know then I think we'll see that position uh uh bolster and and uh and 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 improve but i think right now um you know well, i think a big reason they shifted to this four-two-five alignment is because they like the development and the readiness of a lot of their secondary players right now more than the linebacker position um and so i think uh a big part of what you're going to see in the middle of that defense is just who who is heady enough and steady enough to just make the play and be in the right spot and nail their nail their assignment
2: I'm going to throw one more name out there. Juan Wallace, true freshman, who I believe was here this spring. Uh, he got one reps this morning, what we saw. We saw four drives, two with the ones, two with the twos, eight different linebackers. I think the first two out were Armstrong and Whitner, and then with Guthrie was Juan Wallace, which is uh, – got to kind of take it with a grain of salt, but if a guy's getting a one rep, he's done something right.
0: Before I go on here, I'm having a brain cramp. Who was the kicker last year? cole murphy cole murphy jesus i couldn't remember special teams matter guy guys let me start that over special teams matter guys and it's interesting i very early in camp and you know i don't know what you get out of special teams of anything i don't even know if you guys have seen you know the, the kickers and punters do their thing at this point but it is interesting to me that sterling hoffrichter is getting both roles this year and was some of the criticism of Cole Murphy maybe overstated, perhaps, but it was an adventure when Cole Murphy would come out and kick the football. So what what's your early read on Hoffrichter getting both jobs, and are there any potential game breakers in the kick return game from, from the special teams group?
2: Well, I think if they had a better option than Sterling Hoffrichter plays kicking, they would probably go with it. But, you know, um, I, I think Sterling's certainly capable of it. We've seen him kick field goals before uh as Dino kind of said whenever he sees someone take on both usually they excel in one area and are kind of so-so in the other I think that's a fair expectation for Sterling we we know he's a very good punter I mean he he was one of the the best in the nation at limiting opportunities for punt return units and uh, I mean that's huge so I I'm, I'm sure we'll see him do well there uh, how well he does with plays kicking we'll see i don't think it i don't expect it to be really really bad but it's hard to imagine someone truly excelling in in both of those areas it is a lot to take on
1: we haven't actually seen any any field goal unit work in in practice yet so we don't have any charts or data on what his percentages have been in practice mm-hmm. um, but like steven mentioned you know he, he he got a look last year when when cole was struggling at times and i think he converted um so you know i think it's a little bit different pressure kicking kicking a or kicking a, a field goal there's points at stake uh you know they can kind of swing the momentum of a game punting uh again he is looked at as one of the top punters in the, in the acc and to that end the, the country overall so uh he'll be strong there kick returner i think sean riley is, is going to be the name to watch there again um you know it's interesting. There's a new kickoff rule in college football this year that allows kick returners to f- signal for a fair catch, um, and if if they they do so, the ball gets placed at the 25 yard line like a touchback. Um, but Sean, I was able to catch up with him today at practice, and he said, you know, he's he's going to be looking to to run it out every chance he gets. Um, maybe if if teams do that angled kick towards the corner of the end zone, like we've seen Syracuse and other schools uh, decide to use, you know, that may signal a fair catch. Um, but for the most part, I think he's going to be uh, the guy back there on kick return and then uh, ditto with punt return. I think Sean uh, did that role last year. I think Cordy and nikeen Johnson are, are going to at least get reps back there and be ready uh, in case the staff wants to switch it up at any point for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, Riley's a, a small, squirty little player who, who has a lot of speed and quickness and uh, you know, he, he showed that he was up to the task last year. I mean, he he was near the top of the NCA statistically in return yardage. Now, you know, a critic might say that's because they had so many kick returns due to <laughs> the defense sort of <laughs> right. bottoming out yeah. last year. Yeah. But nevertheless, I mean, he's a guy that um, has has proved his worth back there.
2: What's kind of funny is I think the the biggest question in my mind about special teams right now is – is Matt Keller going to be going to be healthy for the season opener? I never thought we'd be talking about a, a long snapper right now, but I mean, he's a senior who started every game since he got here, and he broke his ankle this summer. Right now, the guy who seems to be waiting to maybe fill in for him is a true freshman named Aaron Belinsky. And when we go out to talk to interview or to do interviews every Thursday and Friday with the players and Tuesday with Dino, he's out there. He's out there getting extra reps. The other day, Keller was with him. Um, special teams coordinator Justin Lustig was with him. It's Friday night on the road at Western Michigan. You don't know what the weather's going to be like. I mean, that's... That's an important not, job. It is. And the only time
0: you talk about the long snapper is if they miss one or they're hurt. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops because he might not be ready for opening day. It's funny you bring that up. I just read a story uh, recently about Adam Linger, who was the longtime long snapper for the Buffalo Bills. And he was there forever. And, like, he never missed a snap. But the one that was off was what? Super Bowl twenty-five. He snaps it to Frank Reich, who just didn't quite turn the ball enough. And I'm a Bills fan, so let's just stop talking about that. But, (laughs) you know, that's the only time you talk about those guys, but it's a a, a little role that's that's got a big impact. You brought up Western Michigan. I'm glad you did that because we'll talk about this more when we get a little closer to that game. But listen, it's on the road, which Syracuse has not started on the road a a lot in, in recent years. And if you're gonna make a, a list of the five people on the planet that know Eric Dungey best, Tim Lester's on that list. And look, Scott Schaefer got Syracuse and 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 Dungey and a team he was familiar with in game two last year. Lester gets him in game one. This is a big advantage, not only for him, but of course you've got other people on that staff that used to, you know, coach here and know this personnel, most importantly, the quarterback intimately, Tim Dowst, of course, being another name that jumps up. I am intrigued by this. This to me is a big, big advantage.
1: Yeah. And, and Dowest, the defensive coordinator at Western Michigan, obviously good friends with Scott Schaefer. Schaefer gave the blueprint on how to attack Dungy and the offensive line and, and try to slow down that up-tempo attack last year. Um. You know, I, I still think it's, it's it's difficult to prepare for Syracuse's tempo, even if you know uh, a little bit of the personnel pieces in place. Um, this was a concern, I think on Lester's radar going into the game is, is you know, you know it's coming, but they, they play at such a warp speed and now that it's year three and Dungees is in his third year running the system, there's a lot of familiarity on that Syracuse roster on where to be and how fast to do it. And I think that's no matter no matter what you know of certain players' abilities, um, once you get into the game and actually see that tempo operate at warp speed, that's something you know that Western Michigan staff is going to have to adjust to on the fly.
0: I want to get both your thoughts on this, but Nate, I'll start with you. I I don't. Jason Murray, our, our our great sports manager, is going to make us do predictions, and I can't get around this, and we can't get around this. I hate making predictions generally. I hate making predictions until we're right towards the start of the season because I think there are things that can develop during camp that will change my opinion on that, namely if there's a big injury. but Or the Kool-Aid. Or the Kool-Aid. It flows. Exactly, it flows, and you, you talk yourself into 9-3. and three. We'll see where we are when we've got to make these predictions. But <laughs> the feel of this year to me is weird. I don't feel like it's bowl or bust. I don't think it should be that. I think it's a natural step for some people because you're coming off back-to-back four and eight seasons. I don't feel that. I don't think I'm, I'm, I need to draw a line in the sand and say, you know, shut it down if they don't win six games and get to a bowl game. And I, I know some people will certainly expect that. And Here's the reason I feel that way, and I wonder if you guys are with me on this. I think Dino Babers has a lot of collateral. I think he's got a lot of leverage. I think this is a guy that's pulled off two big upsets in the last two seasons fans like him i think they feel like he's kind of ahead of the game in a little bit they feel like he's a smart coach in a lot of ways and there's just a lot of things that go his way that i don't think there is that line in the sand like there was with even scott Schaefer when he kind of backed himself into a corner and said we need to win eight games coming into that that one season so maybe i'm wrong on this how are you guys feeling about what the level of expectation is
1: i I, i'm with you i think that uh you know, from from a big picture perspective, you know, who who do you turn to if you want if you if you are on the idea that it's time to cut bait with with Dino? You know, who are, you just turned over to an offensive gyro from a defensive guy. So you know, do you do you revert back to the defensive side of the ball? Well, I don't know if that's a great idea. You know, can you can you bring in? a a young hotshot recruiter who's who's going to pound the recruiting trail and maybe you know try to hire a good staff and just try to piece the the x's and o's together I don't know I think you know to your point you have right now about as steady as an experienced coach um, who has adapted to the overall changes in the sport that we've seen over the last decade you have him in place you're starting to put the financial resources around him to try to give him a puncher's chance in one of the best divisions in college football. Um, I think it's it's prudent to just ride the wave out um, for as long as however long his contract is. And, and we don't have an exact figure on that, but we, we know when it was signed, it was a long-term deal. Um, because I, I just don't see many viable alternatives who – who can do a lot better and and quite frankly if you're going to if you're going to turn it over again you set yourself back into reset mode where you just were two years ago and you know you, you got to give these guys a, a legitimate chance to to flip the roster over which we've seen them do a, a great job of the last couple of years um and you know everything that I've been told and everything just based on previous rebuilds from other parts of the country, whether it's Willie Taggart when he was at South Florida, whether it was Mike McIntyre when he was at Colorado, whether it was Art Bryles when he was trying to do the Baylor rebuild, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, year four is usually Mike Leach at Washington State's another name. Year four is when it usually takes off. Um And, you know, it will be fascinating to see if that trend continues to hold here. It'll be fascinating to see if they can maybe hit that peak a year early, early, like some other programs have have done. Um, But either way, I'm with you. I don't I don't see this being a defining year for Dino in in any way. And if the administration is thinking that way, um, I would seriously question whether they they know what they're doing they are that's
0: the other thing like with previous administrations they thought one way i get no sense that john wildhack would think like this would do this would get pressure from alumni or fans you always have to leave open the window of like some sort of catastrophe they go two and ten and that changes the conversation but steven i don't get the feel that this team will, will be that way short of you know a major injury run or something you always like we mentioned have to leave open with football but what do you think is the feel of what this team can be this year, what the expectation is, and kind of some things we just discussed there with Nate?
2: Well, I think there's a, there's a lot of hope. I think this is a team that could break out this year, but they they're still they're, they don't have the depth to say, okay, you know, we can withstand an injury to Chris Slayton. You know, we can withstand a couple injuries on the offensive line. Or, you know, Eric Dungey gets hurt. We'll see how Tommy DeVito does. He may very well be able to do it. But still a redshirt freshman. They're not quite there where it's all set in stone. But, you know, if this team stays healthy and and wins close games, sure, they can win six games, seven games, eight games. team last year could have won eight games. Just got to close them out. And, you know, if Eric Dungey doesn't break his foot, field goal goes in against Florida State, a a guy catches a touchdown pass at LSU, it's they're they're not that far off, and just to reiterate what Nate said, I I completely agree. As someone who's around Dino Babers more frequently than most, he's a he's competent. He understands the game well, obviously at a higher level than we do. Um, and unlike Scott Shafer, he is in control in bad mo- in 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 hard moments. He does not freak out at press conferences or. You know, panic about, about menial things. You know, he's not a coordinator, he's a head coach. Much like Tim Lester's personality. You talk to Tim Lester, he says, in control as anyone you will talk to. Um, and one last kind of thought Dino Babers is going up against some really, really good programs right now. If you look at the other, you know, maybe peer schools, you might call them Wake Forest and BC, have coaches who were hired when Schaefer was. You know, Claussen um, and, and Adasio, those guys have had time to recruit guys who who have already graduated um, from their programs. And Dino is only in year three and I think he's already, you know, ahead of where those guys were at that point.
0: And by the way, Steve Adazio's got a player who, if he was on Alabama, could win the Heisman Trophy. I mean AJ Dillon is that good and if he stays healthy, that's the last game of the season. If that's a guy you gotta beat to perhaps qualify for a bowl game, that's gonna get very, very interesting. That's a long day for the linebackers. That's a very long day for those linebackers for sure. The gentlemen, there is so much more to cover. We know you're going to do it throughout, so everybody listening, make sure you're following along on Syracuse.com. Follow these gentlemen on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter as well at SYRFootball, and we'll keep you updated on everything that happens throughout camp. We'll circle back when we get a little closer to the start of the season, but uh, thanks for hanging, as always, here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast,
2: boys. Always appreciate it, man. That's great.
0: Thanks for listening to episode 40 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to get new episodes sent to you automatically wherever you listen to your podcasts. Best way to do it, iTunes or Google Play. Just find Syracuse Sports Podcast and hit that subscribe button. I'm Brent Axe. We'll talk to you next time.